Welcome to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. Mike is one of the nation's top realtors and is highly regarded as an authority in residential real estate sales. Mike Bell has nothing to sell but great wisdom. You're going to love this show. Now, here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. My name is Abby Navarrete, and I'm here with Mike Bell in our Pasadena studio for the next hour. Mike is one of the top agents in the nations, and I'm his client care director. Mike has been selling for about 20 years, and he works off of referrals. He gets a lot of inquiries from people who need his help. And so here we are with segment four of the topic, the best questions to ask your agent. Hi, Mike. Hey, Abby. How are you? Doing well. It's cold, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's actually winter in California. It seems like we did this 10 minutes ago, the segment three. Yeah. We've had a really busy week. We've had... Last Friday, we had five closings, and then we had that cute little house in Locker Center that closed yesterday. We've yes. Been, it's, we've been slammed, and yes. it's been cold. Mm-hmm. It's unusual for us. In Pasadena, was, it went, went down to 25 degrees, I think, one night, three nights ago. Was it 25, or was it? 30. It was, it was definitely in the 30s. Felt like it was 25. Yeah. Well, anyway, Mike, let's get through some of the business first. Okay. Yeah. This is a call-in show, so we can be reached at 888-GO-FOR-IT. That's 888-463-6748. Again, that's 888-463-6748. Mike is a licensed California real estate broker at Keller Williams International in Pasadena. His email is mikebell at kw.com. His website is michaelbellteam.com, and his personal cell phone is 888-401-1555. And you can also find him easily on the web. Yeah, you can go to our website, and you can see um, the, the best questions as well. We have a, There's a little tab you can click. It's the 41 best questions. It's something that I created oh, maybe five, six years ago. And uh, I can't believe we're on segment four, and we're maybe halfway through it. So let's just roll into this. I know last week's show was it was great, um, but I want to pick up the speed because um, we have a lot of cover. Yeah. Well, uh, last week I think our last question in segment three was about pricing strategies. Oh, I want to hit that for. There was just a few things I, I think I didn't really get a chance to talk about. Okay. Um, I think that you know when 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 folks ask me about pricing strategy. Really, the first thing to come out of my mouth is really it depends. It depends. It depends on what you're. Depends on what you want to do. If you do you want it sold super fast, do you want it to sit. Um, most of the time, on anything that you're going to be selling, if it sits, you're probably not going to get as much money for it. As if versus if you price it right, and you open it up to the market, and your best buyers come to to it, and hopefully maybe you can get bidding more. But you're usually you're better off. Um, selling uh, a piece of real estate or almost anything, uh, usually quickly. I mean, we talked about eBay. If you're going to sell, we're sitting on these chairs here. Maybe these are worth thirty dollars each. Mm-hmm. If you price one at twenty-five and one at thirty, guess which one's going to sell faster? Twenty-five. And the twenty-five one, even if it's worth if it's worth thirty, it'll get bid up to thirty mm-hmm. because there's value. It's just the way it works. Yeah. But it also depends. I mean. We, you can't necessarily say that about maybe a piece of land. Sometimes pieces of land, it just takes a long time to sell. Yeah. And that's the way it is. We have a land listing. We have one land listing right now. Yes, we still have that one. And uh, it's it's a long listing. And we get a few little inquiries here and there. Didn't and we have a land listing right before that? And it sold pretty quickly. Like That one sold pretty quickly. Yeah. I think it's, it, sold, it, it took a few months to sell that. Okay. Uh, and that's relatively quick, actually, okay. for land, because in at least in LA County, most land doesn't even sell. I mean, uh, on our multiple listing service in our area, almost seventy percent of all the land listings never sell; they just expire. Oh wow! So it's great that we sold it first of all, but we also yeah. sold it in two months. This piece of land that we have—it's a beautiful piece of land that um, it's near Dodger Stadium, mm-hmm. and it's a buildable lot. And the guy decided he wanted to he wanted to build on it, but this is when the market started turning going down. So he decided to pull out. Now it's hard for him to get construction financing. It's very difficult to get construction financing here. So he decided to put it on the market. And mm-hmm. we've been on for a few months. We've only had a few nibbles, and but that's that's normal. Okay. So like I said, it depends. But I will say, it is typical that your best buyers, 
your best buyer is in, in, a, in a marketplace where there's a very low inventory, which is pretty much across the nation, and especially in Pasadena, in the Pasadena area, mm-hmm. your best buyers come in the first two weeks. Yes. And what we're finding, and you're, you've, you've seen this, you've been, you've been with us for a while now, you're seeing that either the property sells and we're in contract within the first two to three weeks, or generally, this all depends, but it's very general. It also, um, we wind up having to drop the price sometimes. Yeah. If it kind of sits there for a while, not too much activity. and Well, we notice it quickly because all of a sudden the showings just slow down. People don't want to see it. They're just, they're just, they're just not, and they're not calling. And then the web hits because we track all the web hits. Yeah. On Zillow, on Trulia, on the multiple listing service, on the individual websites that we, that we put together. There's a whole bunch of other websites and we can actually, on the back end, we can actually track how many hits it How many gets. Hits. Mm-hmm. And then on Realtor.com, they have a great service. It, it's a very expensive for me to do this, but we do it anyway as a service to the client because we want them to see the kind of hits that they're getting. Yeah, the activity, the views. The activity, the views. Mm-hmm. And they send an email. We wind up setting it up so that my, our clients see an email every, every week. week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I get CC'd on it and you get CC'd on it. Yeah. It's the same thing over and over again. Very high viewership, lots of clicks in the first two weeks, and then what happens on week three? It starts to slow down quite a bit. Almost 50%. Yeah. And then what do you do to get the attention? If you've done everything, if we've done everything, fence, great photos, if you're on all these different websites, if you've done open houses, if you've done caravan, if you've done, um, you've done everything you're supposed to be doing, I hate to say it, but the market has spoken usually after yeah. a few weeks. If there's still no major activity going on. And the thing is, yeah, if you have an audience and they're looking at it, but they're not taking the next step, it's usually because... The price. The price, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And then what we wind up having to do sometimes is sometimes you just have to adjust the price. Yeah. And lo and behold, what happens? Then all of a sudden you get all these offers and calls coming in. Activity. It's interesting how that happens. Yeah. But the, th- the funny thing is that they just won't... It's very frustrating. Buyers still won't write the offer in the first place. Now, if, if you're a buyer out there and you're thinking about buying a prop, piece of property, but it looks like it's overpriced and it's been on the market for, say, two, three, or four, or five weeks, my suggestion, if you're my real estate agent, I'm sorry, if I was your real estate agent, I would tell you to write an offer for what it's worth. You would be very, very, very surprised that you may very well be the only offer that's that's writing on it and you could get a great deal or at least you could be the only one buying it, trying to buy it, and you have no competition. Right. That can happen. You it's a little nerve-wracking when yeah. you're when you're buying a property and you know that there's somebody nipping at your heels that really wants it. It's nerve-wracking knowing that there's 10 offers on a property and that you got accepted, but now all of a sudden your feet are to the fire because yeah. the seller just, they're going to make you, you know, they're going to make sure you perform. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be harder for you to negotiate. It's going to be very easy to negotiate if you're the only buyer. You can yeah. ask the world. Yeah, that's I true. I mean, a lot of times they do, and you never know what's going to happen. But my mom always taught me, it doesn't hurt to ask. It's a little hard to ask, though, for concessions from a seller, a price drop or a credit or a repair or something. It's hard to do that when you know that there's somebody right behind you. There's two or three people that want to buy the property. Yeah, the competition. So that's my buyer's tip these days. It doesn't matter. If it looks like it's overpriced, write the offer. And oftentimes, I hate to say this, but it's true. It's not really worth calling the realtor sometimes because sometimes the realtor, I mean, you, you just know, no, sometimes they get in the way of transactions. Oh, really? The best thing to do is, I mean, you can, you can call a real estate agent. You can have your realtor call the other realtor that's representing the seller and say, hey, what's going on? And that realtor may not, it may not get communicated correctly, whatever the story may be. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, if you can put it on paper, if you can put it on writing, that's a lot different than what you say on the phone. How many calls, Abby, how many calls do we get every day of people saying they're going to write an offer? And do we ever see it? Not always. I mean, it's, I would say it's less than 50% of the time. I'll have an agent call me and say they're probably going to write an offer or something like that. Yeah, and then and we don't. And sometimes they're just feeling the waters out. They want to kind of see what's going on mm-hmm. and see if I'll give up information. But I always try to encourage the buyers and the buyer's agents to give an offer. Yeah. That's my job. But um, 
oftentimes they just they won't even write the offer. And it's too bad because at least in California it has to be in writing. There's no such thing as a verbal offer when right. you're selling real estate. It's yeah. it's really it has to be in writing. That's so, true. So anyways, I'm sorry, I'm digressing. Oh, no. So well let's go let's ahead and roll, roll into, into the, the questions. questions. Yeah. So let's see. First question in this segment. So what are the best proven strategies to get top dollar in a reasonable time? Well, we talked about this a little bit. It depends really on a lot of things. Um, do you have a unique property? Do you have a, a piece of land? Do you have, um, are, you, are you in foreclosure? We have a transaction right now where uh, we have a client that went into foreclosure. He filed bankruptcy, Chapter 13. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, uh, the lender, the first trustee lender, filed a motion for relief from automatic stay. When you file bankruptcy, bankruptcy is a it's a federal, you know, federally regulated. It's a it's a it's not state by state. It's federal. Mm-hmm. I'm really technical here. All right. <laughs> but when you when you file bankruptcy, everything stays. They mm-hmm. have what's called it's a stay. It's a stay action, which means basically everything's frozen. Okay. You can't sell anything. You can't do anything with there's and and the bankruptcy the trustee wants to see. What's going on and how we're going to reorganize this and what really is going on? So basically, it's like you can't even make any major financial movement at all. Not really. Okay. And I don't want to give out, you know, I'm, I'm not a bankruptcy attorney, but generally, I'm getting very, very general. And if you really want to get specifics, you have to talk to, you should be talking to a bankruptcy attorney. But everything for the most part in terms of real estate stays the same. Okay. Stays. So if you're a, a lender and you're foreclosing on a property and that owner is able to file bankruptcy, mm-hmm. There's a lot of – it all depends, but generally, they can't foreclose on you. Now, that's what happened on this situation. Now, in in, in California, what happened with, with this this client is that they they filed a foreclosure. It, the clock started running. The foreclosure process in California takes about 111 days. Okay. So it went about 90 days, and then they filed bankruptcy, and it was – they have what's called the stay action. It lasted for almost two years. And the, the lender thought it was maybe unfair, whatever. I don't know what happened in court. Oh, my goodness. But the judge said, um, go ahead and you can continue to do, doing the foreclosure. <gasps> so the client called me and he said, oh, my gosh, they could actually foreclose on us in 21 days. So, oh, my goodness. So this situation, it depends. So that property, we it was the best strategy to price it lower than the market. And we got 17 offers in about seven days. And we were able to we were able to get an accepted offer for over a hundred thousand over the asking price, and it, it happened to be right. a fantastic buyer. Yeah. And that buyer actually overpaid. He paid. They paid more than um, obviously that that buyer paid more than the second highest buyer. Obviously, right. but mm-hmm. I can't really divulge how much more. But it's it was more. And now. Um, we're submit, we have to submit this to the bankruptcy court for okay. approval and also to the bank, the first trustee, and the second trustee holder for short sale approval. So how do you get the best top dollar in a reasonable time? Uh, that's a unique situation, but every property is unique. So it's really, I think it's very, very important to, 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 to say here, it really depends. But now let's just talk about the American Dream Home. Yeah. Three bed, two bath house. Okay. There's no... Um, divorce, foreclosure, short sale, bankruptcy. There's no environmental hazards <laughs> happening. There's nothing crazy going on. Mm-hmm. The house is in really good shape. You're in a desirable neighborhood. The freeway's not going to, they're not going to, uh, you know, the government's not going to take over your property from, through eminent domain or anything like that. Generally, um, the best thing to do to get top dollar is to expose it as much as possible, price it correctly, and position it correctly. And we talked about this. Yes, we did. And those mm-hmm. are the three Ps, price, positioning, and promotion. Yes. So We covered that I, last week. I think we're going to roll into our first break, Abby. This is great. Okay. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. 
Here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. Just as a reminder, this is a call-in show, and we can be reached at 888-GO-FOR-IT. That's 888-463-6748. Mike Bell's email is mikebell at kw.com. His website is michaelbellteam.com, and personal cell phone is 888-401-1555. Well, Mike, um, I I have a feeling we didn't hit it all yet, answering Mm. the previous question. No. You get me talking, and uh, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, the first well, the first thing to do, I think, to figure out it, the best strategy is to get the top dollar in a reasonable amount of time. I think the first thing you got to figure out is who's your highest paying buyer. Okay. Who's your highest paying buyer? Now, if you have a fixer house, if you have a house that's probably unlendable because it maybe maybe there's a construction project that's gone awry. Maybe somebody's bought a house, tore out the kitchen ran out of money, maybe they got a divorce or something like that, and all of a sudden you have a house on the market with no kitchen. It happens. It happens quite a bit, actually. Oh, wow. That, on a conventional basis, uh, large banks, really 90% of all the mortgages out there are backed by, are are basically through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, Uh, you're not going to be able to get a loan on it. You're just not going to be able to get a loan. So your target audience is probably going to be a cash buyer. Right. So... Your highest paying buyer is going to be probably an investor. And maybe your highest paying buyer is actually, this is something to think about. If you do have a fixer and you're listening to this, maybe your highest paying buyer is going to be a mom and pop type investor who's very, very local, has some money that wants to kind of tool around and maybe do their first flip, buy their first house. That buyer is actually probably going to pay more money than an institutional buyer who's out there buying 40 or 50 a month because they're out there. Yeah. Something to think about. Now, how do you target somebody like that? Well, I think there's a lot of different ways of targeting it, but you do have to make sure that they understand it is a fixer. Yeah. Um, there are some agents out there that'll they'll, they'll list a property with maybe even no no words, or they won't even explain that it's a fixer, and then you don't figure out it's a fixer until you walked in the house, and you're like, wait Yikes. a minute, there's no kitchen. Well, no wonder why they didn't take a picture of the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, there is no kitchen. But, you know, you wind up getting people upset. But at the same time, you think maybe you're maybe as an agent, you're thinking you're doing a service to your seller Mm -hmm. because you're getting people inside the house because and it's so cheap. Well, what you're really doing is, well, for one, just on a personal basis, you're as a real estate agent, you're you're not getting the best reputation, first of all. Yeah. Being up front. Mm -hmm. And the, the other thing is you've just missed out on that mom and pop buyer or that institutional investor because they didn't know the house is you know, targeted towards them. A fixer. Makes sense, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, it does. I can understand why an agent maybe is inclined to maybe not talk about the negative attributes of a house. I get it. But you just missed your target. Yeah. You still want to say what what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Be it, um, you know, be it great or ugly or whatever, you really, it, I think it's important to... Um, you know, when you're promoting the house, it's, I mean, you don't tell all, talk about all the negative stuff about a house, but, you know, something like that, if it's a fixer, you need to let people know. Yeah, because there are people that actually are looking for that specific kind of home. Well, even like for me, for, if I ever, if I, I've been in, I've been in a historic a bungalow in, in a historic neighborhood for, I think it's been 11 years now, and I don't think I'll ever move, but if I ever moved again, I would buy another historic house that preferably hasn't been rehabbed. And preferably is needs a lot of work because I want to be able to fix it the way I want to fix mm-hmm. it. Okay, yeah. and so um, that's you know they're going to be targeting me. So I'm actually the highest paying buyer. Yeah, and you never know who your highest paying buyer is, but your highest paying buyer is it needs to be targeted. And that's the that's the one thing that if if I could possibly scream at the top mountaintops and mm-hmm. talk to realtors about is target your highest paying buyer because so many listings out there miss their target audience and it's just too bad. And a lot of times the sellers just they just don't know. So this is something that we talk about. The first thing that I talk to, you know, when I talk to sellers, I, I talk to them about who their highest paying buyer is. Uh, it, you know, your highest paying buyer could be a family that's just starting out. It could be a family with maybe three teenagers. It could be an investor. It could be an empty nester. You know what an empty nester is, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of empty nesters, and 
well, I'm in my early 40s. I don't like stairs. But a lot of empty nesters don't like stairs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of homes that have stairs have bedrooms of stairs, and they, they, they just want to get away from the, the, the yeah. stairs. Yeah. So you can imagine how important this is to have this two-minute exercise and figure out what's your highest-paying buyer? Who are they? And how do we target them? You've noticed in when we market properties, if it's a single-level house, those words are in the first two sentences of our marketing. Exactly. That is so important. Why People don't want to figure that out themselves. They, you don't want to go through reading through the tiny little print of the description as it's two stories at one. Not at all. Not so, at all. Yeah. So, anyways, that's... that's um, you know, we're talking about proven strategies to get top dollar. Yeah, is is really to capture the best buyers out there as fast as you possibly can, and the reason why also you want to target them correctly up front. You know, your highest paying buyers are usually the ones. At least it's been our experience for the last two years with the market going up. The highest paying buyers are ones that have lost out on other homes. Yeah, because they're not just bidding on just one. Well, sometimes they're not bidding. That's that, that's something I want to talk to you about. But they've lost out on other homes. They've yeah. written offers and they've gotten beaten out. And now all of a sudden they're like, you know, nudge, nudge to the husband in the ribs. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's doing it back to the wife saying, we're not going to lose anything else. We're not going to try to save five grand, ten grand or whatever. Let's go full force. We want this house. We're tired of writing all these offers. We're looking at houses. I mean, we can go through our listing board, the properties that are in escrow. And the majority of them that are in escrow are buyers that have written offers and lost out on other, other properties. properties. Yeah. So, and those buyers are the ones that are going to jump if something if you if you put a property on the market at the right price and you promote it the correct way. Mhm. And you position it the correct way, they're going to jump on it. Yeah. Cuz we on our listings when we have a, a a correctly priced property, we get multiple offers and we allow them to just yeah, I've seen that happen already, just being here the past few months. One of the questions we're going to be talking about is about talking about multiple offers and bidding war, basically. But that is that is a that is a top strategy for any real estate agent representing a seller. And we'll, we're going to talk about how, how you do that. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. Um, okay. Well, me, should we move on to the next question? Uh, Did you hit everything? I think we hit everything. Okay. Well, then let's roll on to the next one. Are you detail-oriented and prepared for eventual hiccups? I think this is a fair question to ask a real estate agent. And it's kind of maybe it sounds really silly or it's kind of a silly question in a way. Hey, are you detail-oriented and are you prepared for eventual hiccups? I think it's a fair question and I think you should ask it. And when you ask it, I think you should just keep your mouth shut and see see what the agent says. I think a good agent is going to be able to tell you, they should be tell you a rendition of this answer. I think the answer needs to be something like, well, first of all, there's about 400 things that need to happen for a house to sell. Okay. Yeah. We have a two page list that when we take a listing, we have a two page list. We have a checklist. There's, I don't know, there's on those checklists, those two pages, at least 150 things. Yeah. That need to be done. But really, in the reality of each one of those being done, there's maybe 10 that need to be done to get that one thing done on the list. But I always say there's probably 300 things that have to be done over and over and over again on mm-hmm. each property to be able to be sold. Okay? Yeah, that's true. We all have a process. There's a process taking photos, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. But on every property, I would say there's another 100 things on every property that is very, very different. Yeah. That needs to be done. Yeah. And the, that's basically, I would say, one in four things that need, need to be done to be able to sell a piece of property. Those are the things that get screwed up. And those are the things that could leave people flat-footed and they don't understand and allow things to fall apart. And I'll give you the big ones. Well, one of the things that you had, you had mentioned about investors buying, well, buyers buying, writing offers on multiple properties. Yeah. We're lucky because I do a lot of business. And so, and I know there's I know there's realtors in town that work with a lot of investors. And it happens where you may have an investor and they may write five or six offers on properties. Okay. That investor may never have seen it. I don't know, the, the realtor may never have seen it. But all of a sudden you've got an offer. Now, 
I, I've been doing this for 20 years. This is one of, this is one of the benefits of using somebody like me in your market, in your marketplace. Um, I can, if we, I can tell who may or may not have been in the property and may be writing offers on a, a bunch of other properties. Yeah. The, the problem with that, the challenge with that is, say, for example, your seller decides to take that offer. And they take the offer, and that buyer has, say, maybe 10 days or 17 days to remove their contingencies. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, this buyer is locked into this property. He can buy it. He, she can buy it. They can walk away. But they have a free time, free period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't cost them any money, and they lock it up. And what oftentimes will happen is they'll write offers on maybe five or six properties or maybe even more. Oh, wow. And they'll try to see how many they can get accepted. And then once they get accepted, then they go drive over to the property and take a look at it. That's when they go see it? And if they don't like it, they cancel. <gasps> there's a problem there. Because all of a sudden, as a seller, you're left high and dry. All of a sudden, you're in escrow and it's backed out and everybody goes, Gee, what happened? What happened? Mm-hmm. And they think there's something wrong with the house. There's something wrong with the realtor. Well, then they There's start to wonder why. Price. Why? They start wondering why. Mm-hmm. And it's, you're in a bad position, usually, if you wind up bouncing out of escrow. Yeah. Usually. So that's something that um, I think that's important for an agent to be able to explain to you. The other things is, I mean, it's very, very basic. Now, the, the number one reason why transactions cancel is loans. Um, they ah, can't get the loan. I see. Whatever. Okay. So there's two different kinds of uh, – there's there's a, what's called a pre-qualification and there's a pre-approval letter. Mm-hmm. Now, every bank's different, and especially with all the, the financial crisis that we had, there, some banks are very, very particular and careful about the words they use on their pre-qualification or pre-approval letters. Letters, I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them say pre-qualification. Now, pre-qualification could mean that as a buyer – You've already submitted your tax returns, pay stubs, Make bank statements, statements mm-hmm. credit report, mm-hmm. fill out an application. It also could mean the same thing. If it, it could be a pre-approval, same thing. Okay. What your agent should be able to tell, do and tell you is they should be able to say, well, I will present all the offers as they come in, mm-hmm. and they should have a pre-approval letter, a pre-qualification letter, but that agent should pick up the phone and call, call the loan officer. On that on that pre qualification or pre approval letter, there's a loan officer's name and phone yeah. number. Pick up the phone and call. And make sure that it's all legitimate. So we're going to roll into the next break. Okay, so we'll be right back. But, uh, Let's get back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. So on our last question, Mike, uh, we're going over being detail-oriented and being prepared for eventual hiccups. You know, I noticed that you were writing some things down during the commercial break. I kept writing. I think we're going to be on this question for a while. But I think there's a lot of good information in here because these these are hiccups that happen all the time. We really don't have very many cancellations. Right, that's true. Um, and I don't know what the industry average is because it's, it's an embarrassing statistic that nobody really wants to tell everybody. But I would, but I do ask escrow officers because escrow officers will just tell you. Okay. And escrow officers are, you know, they, they're doing business with a lot of different brokerages. Mm-hmm. And it's anywhere between 20 and 40% of the time escrows cancel. Wow. That's called a hiccup. Yeah. That's <laughs> I a pretty would big hiccup. So. Usually when there's a hiccup, there's, there's a problem. So the... So I think it's it, it's very, very important for your real estate agent to vet properly vet out the uh, pre-approval or pre-qualification letter, and it's very, very simple. Just pick up the phone and call whatever the person's name is on the letter mm-hmm. and say, hey, I, we need a, we'd like to get a certain level of comfort more than just the letter. Can you tell me a little bit about what you can tell me about your borrower? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, there's all these privacy concerns and all these other issues. There's not a lot they can tell you, but you'd be surprised. They want, you know, they want to do the loan, and yeah. And oftentimes the loan officer will just say, "Well, so and so is, you know, 
it, they make this they're in this range in terms of the credit report, in okay. terms of income, blah blah blah. And I always ask, well, uh, what would you say? Do you have a would you say you have a ninety five percent chance of ha- never having a problem? Hundred percent chance? I'll ask them, and they'll oh, tell wow. me. Well, oftentimes they'll just tell me because usually a good uh, they'll know. Yeah. And and um, and then I convey that information to the sellers. Okay. You'd be surprised. Sometimes I get. I will call on a pre-approval letter, and the person will say, "Well, he's my friend. We just haven't jumped through all the hoops yet, but don't worry about it." It's like, oh, well, hey. it's that's good to get a little background information. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Hasn't jumped through the hoops. We want to yeah. work with somebody who's jumped through the hoops, right? Because then the shows are serious. Yep. They want this. Uh, the, so the other thing is the earnest money deposit. It's, it is typical, at least in California, and it's it, it it all depends depends on your region, but it's pretty normal in our area. That if you're going to buy a say a five hundred thousand dollar house, you're going to give a three percent earnest money deposit, puts up put up some money. Okay. So it's like fifteen thousand dollars on something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be careful about the deposit because you. I, I often tell sellers uh, and other realtors you could get a deposit. This. Written on like a, a bank from out of state. If they write the offer and they give the deposit and we go into escrow and escrow cashes it, it mm-hmm. may not clear for two weeks. Oh, my goodness. So guess what? The buyer doesn't have any money in the bank for two weeks. That's, you know, it, yeah. it's kind of nice to know that there's actually money in the bank. Yeah. So it's been my practice that we require the buyer when we can um, wire the money. Yeah, and the, just and so the, it's and the wired money immediate. Is, is immediate. Mm-hmm. And you know, the funny thing is, is that a a real buyer that really wants that house, they're not going to have a problem with wiring money. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be insulted. Yeah. And if they're going to get insulted and upset that we're making them jump through some hoops, imagine what they're going to be like throughout their transaction. Oh, that's not a that's good sign. To think about. Yeah. The other things that uh, appraisal appraisals are we can those are hiccups. And the the problems with appraisals uh, is if you're selling for something for five hundred thousand and the appraiser comes out and says it's only worth four ninety, yikes! That's a problem. And there's ways of you know we were talking about how do you prepare for that. Well, it's I think it's important to meet the appraiser at the property. You can you can tell them about the neighborhood, you can tell them about comparables, you can tell them about because you can tell them what's going on. Because oftentimes the appraiser is not from the area. Everybody yeah. thinks they use local appraisers. Not always the case. Well, with the Dodd-Frank financial reform package, that's all been changed quite a bit. And there's a clearinghouse that actually orders the appraisal report. So the loan officer and the appraiser are not supposed to talk to each other. Oh, so I see. So these clearinghouses, it's kind of like a middleman. They will order an appraisal, sometimes maybe from the low bidder. I don't know. But we've had people from... Uh, northern San Diego, drive up to Pasadena. That's that's an hour and a half drive. They're to driving do an appraisal here? In Pasadena. What? That's the way it is. So then, yeah, they're not familiar with the area? They're not familiar with the area. I mean, there's every town has a desirable and a less desirable area. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Unless you're in, I don't know, mm. Beverly Hills? There's got to be areas in Beverly Hills that are not that great. Not as desirable, let's put it that way. Okay. But the appraiser is not going to know that if they're pulling comps. Yeah. And that's why it's important to have a communication with the appraiser and let them know. You know, if if, uh, if you're in a really great desirable area. You want to make sure they know that. You want to make sure they know that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stringent rules on all that. You have to be very, very careful. You can't sit there and try to influence or anything like that. But to help educate them, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, the other big thing, hiccups, is inspections. It's typical that a buyer, when they buy a property, mm-hmm. they they normally get a general inspection. So, um, we're seeing this more and more. They're getting inspections for sewer lines. Yeah, that happened on one of our listings that actually just closed. The one that closed on Tuesday, that yeah. one um, yesterday, that one uh, there was a, we got a, a bid for eighteen thousand dollars to replace the sewer line. Oh my goodness! From the main sewer line that's in the street to the house because they have to tear up the street and they have to get a special kind of permit and 
Oh my gosh. Major work. Yeah. Major, major work. So inspections and how do you prepare for that? It's hard to prepare for it, but one of the things that your real estate agent can do is at least get an idea of what's going on. So at least you have, you're prepared for that. Yeah. Now in, in the situation that we're talking about right now, the seller didn't know that there was a problem. Right. It was, uh, it was two folks living in the house and they didn't use it that much. I think if there were maybe five people in the house, it, it may have surfaced, with the situation yeah, that happened. It may have backed up and then they would have maybe tried to clean it out and run his camera down there and notice that hey, it was really off. Yeah, it was off yeah. by two inches. It had moved. It shifted. The pipe had shifted two inches. Oh, wow. Uh, a four inch pipe shifted two inches. So <gasps> it was only at 50% capacity. No one knew. Wow. Not much you can do to prepare that for that, but, yeah. um, but going through the house and noticing little things. Uh, prior to putting it on the market, I think this is something that a real estate agent should be able to do. We just did this last night for that. We have a listing coming up, and I walk through, and there's few. Uh, it's an old house. It's an oh, yes. English house. Yeah. And there's just few little things that need to be done. We're going to paint some of the bedrooms mm-hmm. because after we, after the seller got rid of all all the personal stuff, the bedrooms just look bad. Yeah, when you take everything out of the house and you really see what's paint there. Paint those bedrooms. We're gonna. Um, we're gonna do the floors. We were, maybe? we're not gonna do the floors. Okay. Didn't make sense to do the floors because they'll scrub up really well. Um, there's a few window panes that need to be uh, fixed. There's some grouting that needs to be done. Little things. Mm-hmm. And then it's you know we talked about this before. It's about positioning. Yeah. If you're a buyer and you're going to be looking at that house, you're going to be like, gee whiz, they didn't even regrout the bathroom, and they didn't even clean the floors, and they didn't even paint the rooms. They probably don't even know what they've got. So why should we give them full price or Mm -hmm. why should we? But if you position the property correct way and we do the right things, a really good real estate broker will be able to guide you to do the the right repairs and you don't want to do too much. Exactly. Yeah. Remember the house that we sold? um, We sold this big house in Arcadia for a million three. Oh, yes. We talked about it in the last show. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I was the third listing agent on that property. The other two listing agents that interviewed for it suggested to the seller that they take all the wallpaper down and, and repaint. Paint. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but so I, I was referred. She wasn't the seller was not too not too thrilled with the other agents. So I got introduced. I went over to the house. I told her not to do it, but it was too late. The painter was, was already, there in the curse. Yeah, it was rescheduled and they were already there, right? Physically yeah. there already. The buyer that's buying it didn't even care that it was repainted. <gasps> he's this this guy. I think he's going to tear the whole house down. So there you go. All that work. All that work and time. They never they never targeted the highest paying buyer. Oh my goodness! And in a million three, a million three buyer is going to be able to look past wallpaper. Yeah. But you know, I was too late, and it was it was it was already done. But it was basically. already done. Mm-hmm. So um, disclosures. Um, this is something that is a big hiccup. You notice the way we, we, we the way we do our business. Yes, is that when we sit with somebody, with a seller, we could do all the disclosures. Right then and, and there. And anything basically, it's it's it, California Civil Code two zero seven nine that says basically anything that could affect the desirability of a single family residence has to be disclosed. Mm-hmm. So if you're aware of it, you have to be you have to disclose it. Yeah. So you, there's all welcome to California. There's a ton of forms. And they're relatively easy to fill out, I guess. Yeah. And you just check boxes. Yes, and no, a little yes, bit of no. detail. Mm-hmm. And some detail. More more detail, the better. Right. And um, But the thing is, is that if you're buying a property and you go into escrow, which means you got an accepted offer, there's time requirements that you're supposed to receive these disclosures. Yes. We like to get those on day zero, day one, the first day. Oh, yes. We get those out. So it's out and it's out and not not day seven or ten, because if there's going to be a problem, it's better to have a problem right up front. Right up front. You need to know about it right away. Later, mm-hmm. because if 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 we have to have a transaction that cancels, it's great to have a cancel on the first day or second day, and not on day ten or day seventeen. Yeah, well, we just lost all that time. We lost all that time, but you know what? Your your backup buyer may have found something else. Right, that's true. That happens a lot. Yeah. All of a sudden, you pick up the phone. And you're like. Uh, hey, we're calling because your your client Joe was you know really liked the house. They wrote this. Oh, we already found something else. Oh, I can't tell you how many lost times that happened. Out on that buyer. Chances are we wouldn't have lost, we won't lose out if it happens in the first two days. Yeah. So, anyways, disclosures are very very important. 
um, hiccups. One big hiccup we talk we keep talking about is pricing. If it's not priced right, that's a big hiccup. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I don't have any offers. Yeah. Why is it just sitting? Um, another hiccup is contingencies being removed. Um, buyers, you know, buyers have a certain amount of time to do their inspections, to do all these, to do their appraisal, get their loan. Yeah. Get everything in order. But the thing is, is that they have to remove those contingencies, meaning that they re- basically generally remove their ability to back out of the transaction. Yeah. But the thing is, is that at least in California, they have to do what's called an active removal, which means they actually have to write a, it's a piece of paper, a form that says, I hereby remove my contingencies, or I hereby remove these contingencies, and they sign it, and they give it to the seller side. Ah, uh, right? okay. Now, it's oftentimes up to the real estate agent to make sure that gets done. Uh-huh. But it doesn't always happen. And sometimes, I don't know what happens, but... I've had transactions where I'm representing the buyer and the seller's not not uh, enforcing the contract. Oh. So we just have extra time to do our stuff. Or if they're giving us disclosures that are late, we have ex- the contract says if it's yeah. late, we have a certain amount of time. Generally, it's five extra days yeah. to review stuff. So all of a sudden, they don't have a solid deal. The seller doesn't have a solid deal yeah. until they've I've removed my contingency. So that's a hiccup. Oh, Oh, no. And then the other big uh, hiccup is realtor communication. Just pick up the phone. The real estate agent just pick up the phone. Yeah. Uh, I'm on the phone all yeah. the time. I don't oh, yeah. pick up the phone. I have an earpiece. It feels like it's embedded in my ear. I'm going to get some weird cancer in my ear <laughs> one day. But I have an earpiece in my, phone, in my ear, and I make the calls. So we're going to go into another break. So... And now more of the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. So, Mike, uh, was there anything else on that last question that we needed to wrap up? I'm, you know, I'm still writing the phone number down for that commercial. I don't think we're going to hear it uh, if you're streaming this, but there was a commercial on how to lose 30 pounds <laughs> by taking one, <laughs> one natural capsule. That's what I want. No, it's not. It's a nationwide study. It just They have they hit all the the all the... All yep. the interesting top, uh, hits there but no, for, that no, are going to get I me think... all excited. To, oh, <laughs> Don't pounds. get distracted. Don't get Is distracted. Is that 30 pounds over your lifetime or 30 pounds in <laughs> one day? What do you think, Daniel? <laughs> He's not talking to me. He doesn't have a mic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's see. Anything else on uh, hiccups? and? Are you detail-oriented and prepared for eventual hiccups? I think we hit it all. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. One of the things, if you want to make sure that your agent is detail-oriented, and pre- prepare for eventual hiccup is ask them for testimonials. I mean, yeah, I, um, that's true. After my transactions close, I always ask the sellers if, if they wouldn't mind writing a few sentences about their experience working with me. Mm-hmm. Um, they yeah. all do it. And so then I ask for permission to share that. Yeah. And a lot of that's on my website. Yeah. A really good agent mm-hmm. that's detail-oriented will have people say nice things about them. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't take it from the realtor's mouth. Take it from other people's mouths. Yeah. That's their I previous that's clients, definitely. Pretty big thing. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and roll into the next question. Uh, can we review all documents before we sign anything? Sure. Uh, that's one of the things that, uh, that for, when I go on listing appointments or I work with buyers, uh, I tend to not bring contracts with me, and that really goes against what we're trained. Uh, to do as salespeople. Yeah, I actually see you sometimes leaving the office. I have nothing, nothing in my hands. Nothing, and I'm like, oh, okay. I have a calculator. <laughs> I have a calculator sometimes, and I, br- I do bring a notepad because I like to write notes. Taking notes, yeah. Uh, and the day before we had nice cell phones, I used to bring a cell. I used to bring a, a phone with. I'm sorry, a camera with me. Oh yeah. Um, so I let people know that when I show up, I'm not going to bring bring any paperwork. Oftentimes, I will get phone calls saying we just like to do it. And, I'll tell them, well, I'll, I'll bring the paperwork if that's okay. And they go, well, duh. <laughs> like, All right. Well, it's just the way I, that's just the way I do my business. I don't like, I like being treated the way, um, I, I, I want to be treated the way I, I treated you. And yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, yeah. So your, I, I think any real estate professional should be willing to say, absolutely. They ought to be able to 
have a scanner, and they ought to be able to take all that paperwork and scan it and send it over to you by email. Mm-hmm. By email, I don't see the. I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, we do it all the time. Sometimes they just don't want it, and we'll maybe we'll meet with them, and then they'll ask us to send it later, or they'll just ask to uh, come to the office, and they just we just sit there and review it. A lot of times, you've noticed we've done we've done this. Our clients will come to our office to sign paperwork. Yeah. And we always offer, you know, we offer coffee and water, and we let them know that if you like, you can just sit here for a half hour or 10 minutes, and I'll come back and get an opportunity for you to read it. I don't want you to feel like I'm breathing over your shoulders. Yeah, like I'm just waiting for you to sign, just sign, just yeah. sign. Well, I let you breathe over the shoulders. <laughs> you send me to go do it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, and I'll tell you, um, this is what to look out for in terms of paperwork. I think that you should be careful if you're a, if you're a buyer or a seller, you should be careful of paperwork that looks like it's maybe done at a stationary store. Or something that's been done on a Word format Yikes. on somebody's computer, or something that's kind of generated doesn't look like it's official. How do you know if it's official? Well, at least in California, we all use. As far as I know, I would say most every realtor probably uses the California Association of Realtors templates. Yeah. We have different listing contracts. We have listing contract for trust sale, probate sale, regular sale, short sale, commercial property, land. Income. Yeah. Um, and it on, on the corner of it, it says California Association of Realtors. I would say 95% of the forms that we use say California Association of Realtors. Yeah, that's true. In my opinion, those are relatively balanced because there's not one for that, you know, it's just, if you think about it, there's... There's only one buyer and there's only one seller, and you have a contract that basically everybody uses from the California Association of Realtors. Yeah. How can you say that it's it's uh, biased to one side? It's not. When both buyers, sellers, both signatures. Mm-hmm. And both usually, a lot of a lot of times are represented by you know, brokers. So, anyways, mm-hmm. that's I would say about five percent of the forms that my office uses we use because they're they're the California Association of Realtors doesn't have forms that apply to local ordinances, local issues. For example, the 710 freeway one day might go through Pasadena. Oh, yeah. And they might have to tear out 300 homes. The likelihood is very small that that's going to happen, but, but it's still, still a disclosure. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the California Association of Realtors up in Sacramento doesn't have the language for that. So I think that's generally what you should look for is, uh, is your real estate agent using standard forms. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think we have time probably for another question. Uh, What's the next one? Let's see. How will you handle multiple offers? Oh, multiple offers. That's that's a great position to be in if you're a seller. Yeah. You have multiple buyers. How awesome is that? And oh. We talked about how to get multiple offers. It's usually price. And it's price, promotion, and positioning. But the other thing, the other thing to, um, that you really want to jump on when you have multiple offers, it's fantastic. First of all, if you have two offers, is that multiple? Yes, it's more than one. If you have 20, is that multiple? Multiple, yes. Okay. Um, why? I have a, other agents do this all the time. I'll call the agent if I'm representing the buyer and ask them, how many offers do you have? Mm-hmm. And they'll tell me two. They're not really, I don't think they're supposed to say that. Yeah. But they may say two. So, oh, wow, only two offers. But why do they just say multiple? Maybe I'll make it'll make me think maybe there's 20. Oh my yeah. gosh. Maybe if they did that, maybe it'll get my maybe my buyer will feel like, "Oh boy, maybe I don't want to screw around." Get maybe that I offer just, in. I want to get that offer in and I'm willing to pay a better price. Now, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, that's that's the importance of having a really good agent that understands how to negotiate and what to say and what not to say. Yeah. And you certainly want to encourage buyers to write offers. Exactly. You don't want to scare them away. But I think it's a it's very important that your real estate agent does this over and over again, and they understand that words are very powerful. They have to be very careful about the words they use. Yeah. Because if you know there's only two offers on a property, or the the listing agent tells you, you know, maybe there's two offers and they're kind of low, you know, well, all then of a sudden you they, don't feel rushed. You don't feel oh well. Well, maybe they maybe somehow, some way, they have left money on the table for the seller, and their job yeah. is to make the most amount of money for the seller. That's right. their job. So, but if you have multiple offers, you have a lot of options as a seller. Yes. I mean, your first option you can say no. 
you don't even have to say no. You just, depending on the listing contract you have, for the most part, in California, you just, you, you can ignore them if you want. Yeah. You know, like I said, it depends. But the other option you have, you can just pick one if you want. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, it all depends. Another option you have, if you have multiple offers, and by the way, these are not my opinion. I don't think you should do these. I'll tell you what I think you should do, and it's the last option. It's the nuclear option. Uh-oh. No, I'm just joking. So <laughs> you can you can counter one of them at a price, at a certain price. Okay. So you have five offers, and you like them all, and one of them is cash, and you can give that cash buyer a counter offer on price. Say they're at 500 and you'd say, well, you can have it for 515 Or you can counter many of them at a certain price, and then depending on if, you're, if your realtor knows what they're doing and they're using the right contract, you can wait for those counter offers to come back, and you can pick one of them. But I think the best thing to do is, it tends to be, is to give everybody a counter offer and ask them to resubmit at their highest and best. Yeah. And your real estate agent, like I said, words are very important. Words are very powerful. You have to be very careful what you say. And I think that real estate agent should call all the buyer's agents, pick, them up, pick up the phone, and explain that we have multiple offers, we want everybody to resubmit at their highest and best and encourage them to resubmit. Yeah. Let the market speak for it itself. Oh, yeah. Let, I've actually seen you do that. We do that. Had we talk about offers. this all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't set the price. I don't. I think it's a mistake for a seller or the realtors to set the price because you may have a buyer that wants to pay more. And you don't want to stop them from that. Yeah. And you don't want a buyer to be upset that they didn't get the, another opportunity, too. Yeah. And every buyer has a number in mind and give them that opportunity mm-hmm. on a, on a on next round to maybe to get the house. And that way the buyer goes, well, hey, I give it my best shot. Yeah. And I think that's really fair. Yeah. And that's the market. And that's the way market. You know, that way, makes sense. It's like that, eBay. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. You get an opportunity to bid on it. You lose out. Wait, you lost out. You knew you were going to lose out, but yeah. at least you don't have any regrets. Yeah. And I think that's how you make, you know, that's how, I think that's how you do Great job for your clients. Um, boy, I can't believe we only had like three questions here. This is oh horrible. Oh my goodness, that just flew by. We're to roll into this next week. So we have like 30 seconds left. So we have a lot of future shows coming up. We have a new logo. Take a look at our website. Um, a lot of exciting stuff happening. Oh, yes. Okay. Well. Thank you, Abby. This thanks, was a lot of Mike. fun. We'll see you guys next I week. I talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> The opinions expressed in the Mike Bell Real Estate Show are solely those of the host and do not reflect the opinions of anyone at TalkZone.com, Keller Williams Realty, any board of realtors, or anyone for that matter. Always hire a real estate attorney when making real estate decisions. Do not try any of this at home.